0: the new AM 740. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour is a paid program. Opinions
1: expressed on the show are those of Naz and Wally and their guests.
2: The world doesn't need another sports show. It needs an awesome sports show. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil? The boys are back. Let's talk sports.
3: Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. I'm Walter Wigabond back in the hot seat after a couple of weeks off. We're live at Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. Good morning, Nas.
4: Good morning, Wally. How are you this morning? I'm
3: great. And first of all, I'd like to wish you and your wife a happy 29th anniversary. I know it, I remember that day well and congratulations. Thanks very much. Uh, I've been away for a couple of weeks, been trying to keep uh, an eye on the world of sports. A couple of things... Uh, have happened in my absence. Of course, the Leafs can never stay out of the news. They uh, No even, kidding. <laughs> even in the middle of the doldrums of summer, they find a way to make the headlines. We're certainly going to talk a bit about that. It's Canadian Open Sunday. Just for our, our listeners, just a little reminder, they're going to have some thunderstorms in Montreal this afternoon, so they're going to be teeing off early. They're anticipating teeing off at 8 o'clock this morning, and the, the leaders should be getting off shortly. So if you're planning on watching some golf, Tune in a little bit early because they're going off early. We've got the Leafs. We've got the Jays. Finally broke the curse. Uh, on that point, Nez. Uh, I'd like to turn it over to you. Uh, Jays finally, finally won one at Yankee Stadium.
4: Yeah, they, they beat the Yankees 6-4 and snapped a 17-game losing streak at Yankee Stadium. The Jays. The Jays uh, had a good week. They won six out of the uh, six out of eight this week, and uh, they've uh, kept uh, pace. and They're now tied uh, with a wild card spot, the second wild card spot, with uh, the Yankees. As a matter of fact, the, J- the Jays have, have had a really good week.
3: So we've got two two months left in the season, and uh, we're getting down to uh, pretty close. We're going to get into a stretch drive. Have uh, the uh, Jays got the horses to uh, to uh, to secure a spot? I still
4: think the Jays need a bit more hitting. Uh, their pitching has is, is done really well. The young guys have performed excellent, and uh, Sanchez had a great outing last week. He pitched two scoreless innings, and he was fantastic. He was throwing the ball 99 miles an hour, and uh, when was the last Jay who could throw at 99 consistently? This kid is very good. No,
3: that kid has, has really, really impressed me, and... Um... Jays are fighting off a few injury problems right now and uh, seem to be holding it together. Uh, certainly, staying in the thick of the race uh, when they get their when they get their full lineup back, um, may they may make a run.
4: My concern is Encarnacion because uh, I understand he had a setback and he's back backed up a few days. Uh, he was probably their most productive hitter. I think Batista has been their best hitter. But uh, uh, Encarnacion was the most productive hitter we had in the lineup, and that's a big hole to uh, take out of your lineup.
3: Once again, the Naz and Wally Sports Hour is a call-in show. If you want to call us and talk about sports, our phone number is area code 416-360-0740. Toll free, one 866 740 As usual, coming up at the bottom end of the hour, we've got Sean Clement and his Golf Wisdom segment. We're going to be talking about putters today and putting. Uh, We also have coming on a little bit later, Quentin Lutz, director for Golf Magazine, rates golf courses around the world. We're going to be talking about Royal Montreal, where they're playing the Canadian Open this afternoon. And as usual, we've got our Pizzaville contest and Naz I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, around
4: we we're gonna open the lines around nine thirty for our Pizzaville package to the Rogers Cup tennis. It's worth two hundred and fifty dollars, so stay tuned and we'll we'll get to that around nine thirty. We'll open up the lines then.
3: Uh, that's uh, a great little package that we've been giving away, and uh, some of our listeners have uh, obviously won that and are really looking forward to the Rogers Cup Tennis, sponsored by uh, Pizzaville, one of the key sponsors, which will be coming up in early August at the York Test Tennis Centre. Uh, Canadian Open Sunday, Nas, uh, the big day in golf in Canada, Royal Montreal, uh, Graham Dillette, uh, our, uh, our hope, Canadian hope uh, had a couple of great first days. Slipped back a little bit yesterday, seven strokes off the lead, which uh, going to be tough for him to uh, to not impossible. Going to be tough. Jim Furyk's a pretty solid veteran with uh, with a pretty large lead. Uh, has won the won the Canadian Open twice already, and uh, looks certainly like he's in the driver's seat to win win his third.
4: Yeah, I thought yesterday uh, I thought either him or Delat were going to be the ones. Uh, uh, at the top, and then it was Furek. Furek has played really, really well, and he's uh, he was hitting shots into the green that were amazing yesterday. Furyk, I think Furek will win this
3: event. And um, looking down the field, it's been a long time since a Canadian has won the uh, Canadian Open, since 1954, if I'm not mistaken, if my memory serves me correctly. Pat Fletcher in 1954. Mike Weir took a... Uh, an incredible run at it. I think it was 2003, if I'm not mistaken, uh, or thereabouts. Uh, had, a, had a big lead going down in, in the final few holes at Glen Abbey, and it slipped away and lost in a three-hole playoff to uh, B.J. Singh. BJ yeah. Singh. Uh, Mike, we um, had a couple of runs uh, earlier in the year, but uh, just in the back of the pack and hasn't had a great week at Royal Montreal. But uh,
4: No, uh, well they said this this was a shorter course he might do well but he uh, he's, he made the cut uh, i think there was about five or six canadians that did make the cut now we were talking earlier there's a kid uh, a kid i guess he's about 28 years old now adam hadwin and he always plays well in the canadian open and i'm just wondering why he hasn't made that next step into the
3: pga interesting interesting question it's sometimes you know you play well on your home so, home soil you 're familiar with the surroundings it's courses you 've played you 're more comfortable and then you get on on the in the p g a tour uh, a lot of people don 't realize it. it it's it's it 's a tough place to make a living it really is there's there's one hundred and twenty five golfers that qualify every year automatically mm-hmm. from earnings and then you 've got the q school guys where uh you know they they qualify in the other tour now, uh, and you're trying you're trying to retain your card, and there's a whole group of young guys mm-hmm. coming up, and it's, you know when you're you, you know you're, you hit the age of twenty eight thirty, and then you've got this whole group of guys coming out of U S colleges, mm-hmm. coming in from Europe, uh, and there aren't that many spaces available. You you go down to the the tour that's below the PGA tour. And you look at some of the names, and a lot of those guys were 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 prominent PGA Tour yeah, players yeah, five, right. seven, eight years ago. You're right. You're and now right. you've got all these kids coming in, 19, 20, 21, Jordan Spieth and Walker and some of these other guys.
4: And they can all hit the ball a and mile. And they
3: can all hit the ball a mile. It's, it's a really, really tough way of making a living. But uh, going back to the Canadian Open, there's one thing that's, you know, the Canadian Open used to be, and I'm thinking about this because they're, they're at Royal Montreal uh, this particular Sunday. And I remember a really, really classic Canadian Open from, from, the, from the mid-1970s. It was a titanic struggle between Jack Nicholas and Tom Weisskopf, And that was at Royal Montreal. And, it, you know, I, I remembered it was the mid-70s. Just Googled it and turned out it was 1975. Interesting thing about Jack Nicklaus. In, it, it, he never won the Canadian Open. He finished... Second. Second, seven times. Yep. And it was, you know, if you interview him, he's always said he always wished he had won the Canadian Open because in, the, in, in those days, 50s, 60s, and 70s, and really up until they were doing it at Glen Abbey all the time, it was, it was considered the fifth major. It was one of the most important golf tournaments in the world.
4: Yeah, Lee Trevino and uh, Billy Casper
3: and all the greats all the, all the great of the game. All the greats of the game always came to play the Canadian Open. And somewhere, somewhere along the line, something happened. Um, they got a bad tour date. Uh, they used to have a tour date that was after the U.S. Open. They ended up with this tour date in September. I remember the Canadian Open used to be at, in September after Labor Day now they've ended up with this tour date after the British Open and it's a grind for the for the tour players mm-hmm. to come back yeah. and I, I and i would have thought and i know that you know RBC's doing a great job sponsoring so many pros uh you know uh the the people over at Golf Canada or the RCGA or whatever they're called nowadays They've always done a great job of pushing the Canadian Open. They've chartered jets, yeah, they fl- fly yeah, yeah. them back from the British Open. They've done all kinds of things. But if you look at this Open field, there's some great players at Montreal.
4: There's a lot missing,
3: though. But there's a lot missing, yeah. and and you look at and if it wasn't for our if it wasn't for the RBC players uh, because
4: Snedegors the yeah
3: the, the uh, RBC Ernie players the Gray uh, McDowells, Graham McDowells and McDowell's, the Ernie Els uh, and yeah. You take away the RBC players from the Canadian Open and you're and I and I'm sorry to say this and not intending to insult anybody, but it's really a second-rate field. Yeah. Right? And 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 I don't understand it cuz Montreal is a world-class city and we'll we'll pick that up after the break. Anyways, we'll go to break and, uh, and then and we'll come
5: back. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville sponsored the Rogers Cup presented by National Bank. We're giving away 25 pairs of tickets to the finals weekend between now and July 31st. Plus one lucky winner will be courtside for the final match with four front row tickets. My half-brother Raul won't go. He's been to court too many times already. Details at pizzaville.ca or 416 736 3636.
0: Ask for Blair Downey. This is Daryl Sittler for Alt
7: Infinity and Vaughn. Car buying made simple. That's what Alt Infinity is all about. No stress, no hassle, no nonsense. Just fun and easy and rewarding experience that will put you behind the wheel of a fabulous new or used infinity. Expert sales staff, superior service, and the largest selection in Ontario. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's what makes Alt Infinity the captain's choice. AltInfinity Woodbridge.com at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7 striving to inspire you at every turn.
2: The only thing I love more than sports is sports radio. Take it away, boys. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740.
3: Welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on Canadian Open Golf Sunday. We're pleased to have with us on the line this morning Quentin Lutz, who uh, rates golf courses for Golf Magazine on the board of directors of Golf Magazine, and the youngest man to have played the top 100 golf courses in the world, certainly knows a little bit about golf courses. Good morning, Quentin.
8: Morning, Well, How are
3: you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. Uh, we want to talk about Royal Montreal. Royal Montreal is the scene of this year's Canadian Open. Uh, you're... Uh, uh, familiar, quite familiar with Canadian golf courses. You spend a lot of time up in Canada golfing, and hold hold a couple of golf events in the Toronto area. Royal Montreal is uh, rated uh, one of the best golf courses in Canada. Give us a little bit of a a little bit of an understanding for our listeners about Royal Montreal. What are the pros up against?
8: Well, I mean, I, I think it's uh, I think it's a real test. I mean, um, it reminds me of uh, some of the great, um, you know. Championship uh, U.S. Open courses that we have here in the states. I mean, uh, uh, I, I sort of dial back to the days of the, of the Presidents Cup. I mean, uh, it really uh, was a, was a perfect test for that event, and I have no doubt that it's going to be the same for the for the Canadian Open. Uh, it's a long course. Uh, it's um, you know, the, I don't know how they've got the rough or how they've got it prepared, but it, it certainly can be challenging uh, when when the uh, the rough is is long.
3: Uh, any unique features uh, this course that stand out? Any memorable holes? Uh, what uh, you you you're in the uh, sort of if I can say use this term in the business of of rating golf courses when you look at a golf course to make uh, rate one higher than the other? What kind of features are you looking at, and what is it that yeah. Royal Montreal yeah, I in has? The
8: case, I think in the case of Royal Montreal, it's it's you know the collect um, the collective group of holes, uh, very similar to sort of Oakland Hills and Oak Hill and Wingfoot in that um, it's it's a it's a test. And I think that's why uh, it's a good venue for the Canadian Open. Um, you know, memorable hole, sure, the 18th is, is one that uh, will provide some drama. Uh, you know, I think it's uh, it's one of those courses that can't be overlooked. I've certainly got it in my top ten in Canada and, and in probably just outside the top five.
3: Interestingly enough, you talk about uh... – Top ten in Canada. the the uh, the uh, Golf Magazine Score Magazine. I'm sure you're probably familiar with it. Quentin, um, come came just came out with their uh, latest uh, top 100 in Canada this this particular week, and uh, you're familiar with most of the uh, most of the top Canadian golf courses. Played most of them, uh, occupying the number one spot again in in the local ratings. was uh, was the National Golf Club of Canada. I know you're familiar with that one. Interestingly enough, uh, Score Golf Magazine had a course that we're both familiar with because we both played it together last year. Uh, Cabot Links uh, was yeah. has been rated the number two golf course in, in in Canada by Score Golf Magazine, and I found that to be, quite frank with you, a little bit surprising. Uh, any thoughts?
8: Well, I, I agree with you. I think it's a little bit surprising. Although, to be to 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 be fair and to give them some credit, it, the course. Um, has gotten better, uh, you know, just in the few years that it's been open. I know it's it's in the beginning. It was uh, much more difficult from a playability standpoint, but they've softened the course and they benefited from the uh, from the growing as well. Um, but I, I don't think you can beat uh, St. George's and Hamilton. I would certainly rank those two over Cabot. Um, although I'm very <laughs> I'm very uh, you know I'm familiar with the Cabot links folks and they do a great job and I certainly wouldn't want to discount uh, their property as well.
3: And and certainly Cabot Links has a, a fabulous new golf course in the works called Cabot Cliffs which is uh, I know that you personally toured the uh, construction facility and that is supposed to be an amazing golf course as well. Tell us a little bit about that one.
8: Yeah I had the good fortune of um, of touring that course with uh, with my friend Ben Calendore who is a uh, the, one of the developers, um, at Cabot links that uh, he and Mike Kaiser, uh, who many of you might recognize Mike Kaiser, who did band and dunes, um, are working on that project together. And, uh, I had, had the good fortune to go out with, with Ben and, and see the the work that, uh, Bill Cor and Ben Crenshaw have done. And I got to tell you, I think it's, it's really good. It's going to be better than Cabot. So I'm not sure, uh, how much, you know, room there is to be, uh, to move up, but certainly I think it's going to be it's going to be a great complement to what they have there now, and it will certainly make it a destination in Canada that uh, shouldn't be missed.
3: In fact, some people are some people are saying that this new Cabot Clink Cabot Cliffs may be the Cyprus of the of the East Coast. Is that a, a hyperbola, or uh, are, there, are there similarities to Cyprus?
8: No, I wouldn't say there's similarities. They're 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 different they're different courses. Uh, I think that um, this Cabot Cliffs is more of a cliffside course. It's, more, it's up on the uh, uh, it's up on ridges, which uh, whereas Cypress Point is down by the water. Uh, for those of you who've been to been there, Monterey Peninsula, you you know the views uh, on the back down, especially at uh, Cypress Point, are just unbelievable. So uh, I would I would say that the views and the and the setting is is quite spectacular and would rival Cypress Point, but they they play very different.
3: Once again, for our listeners, we have on the line Quentin Lutz, director of Golf uh, Magazine and uh, also founder of the Outpost Club, an interesting uh, club that you developed down in the States. And uh, you have a question, Naz? Go ahead. Yeah,
4: Quentin, um, the Canadian Open seems to be played within a couple of uh, venues, as Glen Abbey and Hamilton's had a couple of times in Montreal. Is there any other course in Canada that you would suggest that the Canadian Open go to?
7: Well, I think
8: St. George's is a, is a fantastic venue. Uh, I, I don't know if they've had it there in recent years, but um, certainly that would be one that. That um, I think they've had it out west as well, if I'm not mistaken, at Shaughnessy or, or one of the courses out in the Vancouver area. Uh, I'm also a big fan of Capolano, which I I think is a beautiful uh, old course, but probably doesn't have the length required for a uh, for the modern player. Um, you know, the venues that you mentioned are are, are excellent in their own right. Uh, I'm a big fan of Hamilton. I think that's a beautiful golf course. But unfortunately, the uh, the winter was hard on many of the Toronto courses. So uh, I think they're going to need a little bit of time to recover with their greens and what have you. But I'm sure they'll be, uh, they'll be ready to host another Open in the years to come.
3: Uh, um, uh, Quentin, our time is short. I'm going to put you on the spot. The last question. Your top three favorite golf courses in Canada. Ranking them one, two, and three.
8: Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, I'd have to say probably um, St. George's, Hamilton, and and then Cabot, uh, with the national being a, being a, probably a tie for tie for third. I, all all of those are great, but um,
0: you
3: know
8: I'm a, I'm a traditionalist, so uh, they're great courses, and, and I love them all. I love, love playing up in Canada, and thank you for having me on the show.
3: Thanks, Quentin. I don't necessarily agree with your choices, but we'll, de- we, you and I will be, we'll debate those very, very shortly. Anyways, we've had on the line Quentin Lutz, uh, director of Golf Magazine, rates golf courses the top 100 in the world. Quentin, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show again, and uh, and have uh, have a great week. Thank you. Uh, that was Quentin Lutz uh, talking about Royal Montreal, and uh, to change. Uh, Move over to the favorite topic of Toronto sports fans. Uh, always seem to be in the news, like once again this week, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Naz. some interesting developments down on uh, down on Bay Street this week. Uh, let's uh, b- bring us up to speed well, there. Well, they
4: signed an assistant general manager, 28-year-old Kyle Dubas, formerly of the Sault St. Marie Greyhounds. I guess he was the general manager of the Sault Greyhounds. And the Leafs hired him as an assistant gm and i don't know where shanahan's going with this but uh you got to give him a, the benefit of the doubt that you know he's trying something different anyway
3: um the part about um, the move i don't understand is why didn't they do it earlier um you've sort of left uh you know Poulin and Loisel out uh you sort of I wouldn't say hung them out to dry. That's sort of strong terminology, but uh, you, you sort of left it late into the summer.
4: Yeah, they did fire them. I didn't mention that, but they yeah. fired Claude Loisel and Dave Yeah. Poulin.
3: and they brought in and brought in the young Dubis, guy. Yeah. And uh, you know, we'll uh, you know certainly want to talk about that, um, but you know, I, I think to be fair, if they intended on making that move, maybe they should have made it made it sooner. Anyways, well, take we're, a look. We're we're, take a look what they've done. They've. Uh,
4: Fired their two main guys in Poulin and Loyzau. They got rid of all their assistant coaches and brought up Steve Spot and Horchuk as their two assistant coaches. They still have Carlisle there who is the head coach, and they have Dave Nonis there, who's the general manager. So he's clean he looks like he's cleaning it, cleaning house a bit at a time here. That's not necessarily uh, the right way to do things, I don't think.
3: I, that, that's a good point you make, Naz. Um, uh, I think Shanahan's come in, taken stock of the situation, and, and he's moving slowly, uh, making decisions of, of where he wants to go. I, I just find the management uh, decisions seem to almost be inverted in the sense that you would think that it's the guys at the top who have the accountability, uh, if if we're going to make the decision that something's wrong there, uh, isn't it the general manager and the coach that are responsible? Oh, and, I and, think so. And, they, and, and they've got to take responsibility. For, I don't but to, 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 to fire the assistants, uh, I, I'm not sure how that makes any sense. It doesn't without, make any without, sense. Without firing the general manager and firing the coach at the same time. And
4: here's, here's the situation, okay? Um, The Mike Babcock rumor or uh, theory we had back a couple of months ago seems to be coming out again. And uh, are they waiting for Randy Carlyle to uh, have a bad start, get rid of him and bring Babcock in when the time comes?
3: That's a very good point and, uh, and, and uh, an interesting analysis. And uh, I want to pick up that discussion, but uh, it's the middle of the hour, and we promised our listeners we've oh, got the Pizzaville we've got, package. We've got the Pizzaville package to, uh, to, uh, to give away. So why don't you uh, tell our listeners all about that, Naz?
4: $250 value Rogers Cup prize package courtesy of Pizzaville. Two premium seats, bronze seats at a session during the Rogers Cup tournament. At the Rexall Center in New York University and a $25 gift package, gift certificate from Pizzaville, as well as parking. Value $250. What are the numbers, Wally?
3: Numbers are area code 416 360 740
4: 740 4740 The 10th caller,
3: 10th caller. Tenth call. It's a great package. Give us a call 416-360-0740, 1-866-740-4740 Kyle Dubas uh, seems to be an interesting addition mm-hmm. to the Leaf management team. Has a reputation for being one of the bright young minds in in hockey. Um, certainly spent a couple of quality years with the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. Um, seems to be a student of this new movement in hockey or in professional sports, something called analytics. Um, what, what's your assessment of that, uh, of that addition, Naz?
4: Well, I I, I have no problem him trying to prove himself. I'm not sure this is the right way to go, but you know what? We've been talking about the least for the last 40 years about winning the Stanley Cup or being a competitive team, and they haven't done that. They've done that a few times in that time, but they haven't done it regularly. And, you know, maybe he should be given the opportunity. Uh, I kind of like the old school type of uh, scouting and uh, uh, that that, – that's the type where you see a player, you see their character, you interview them. They, they're they doing things right. The scouts are doing things right now.
3: And uh, Reimer Booth signed to contracts. Reimer's the interest. Booth was the interesting one. Booth's very skilled. Very,
4: very skilled. He's a top six forward. But, but there is a but. Uh, he's very injury prone. He's had concussion uh, uh, problems. He's had uh, he's been in and out of the lineup for the past two or three years. Let's throw the last year with Vancouver out of, out the window because the whole team did poorly. So he played 66 games. I think he had nine goals, 10 assists, 19 points. I got to throw that out because of the Tortorella year, right? So let's throw that one out. In Florida, he was a 70-point guy. I mean, he was a 30-goal scorer. He has skill. He's very, uh, very, very talented, but I, he is injury proof But they only signed him for a million dollars, so...
3: Nothing to lose, really. Nothing to lose. If he if he scores 20 goals, beautiful. Why not? To me, uh, Booth is the Mason-Raymond replacement. Yeah. You slot in a, a skilled player at a, at a low price and, and roll the dice and, and see what happens. He hasn't been the same player since, since his concussion problems, really, but... Uh, you haven't got much to lose at 1.1 million. Jim uh, Reimer at 2.3, I believe, uh, seems to be a good price, um, and seems to be a commitment from the Leafs to uh, to keep him on as their backup goalie. Is that a signing and a trading, or is that a signing and he's going to be the backup?
4: I'm not convinced Bernier can last the whole season. The way he plays goal, he looks like he's injury-prone in net. For whatever reason. He's a really good goalie, don't get me wrong. I think he's uh he's he's got great skills as a goaltender. He just seems fragile in the night the way he plays. And uh I see him being injury prone as a goalie and they needed somebody to back up uh back up Bernier. I think Reimer's there to protect that because uh I Bernier hasn't been through a regular
3: season yet. But did Reimer um did Reimer the difficulty I have with this signing is did he not prove in the last twenty games of last season that he he can't he can't carry the Leafs over the top?
4: Wally, the Leafs played so bad the last <laughs> twenty games. It would have been they could have had Martin Brodeur and Patrick Waugh in the net at the same time, and they still wouldn't have uh, stopped enough pucks. The Leafs played so poorly the last twenty twenty five games of the of the season. I don't think he can hook that on Reimer. but but. They need some There's insurance there, and 2.3 is not it's – a, it's a good value for them. It's a good value for them. It's good value,
3: and uh, I think it's a, it's a good signing at that price. And um, interesting point uh, being that uh, they've now got uh, Reimer and Bernier signed. Quality uh, – you know, it's, it's not a bad tandem – for a price that's probably less than what they're paying David Clarkson in total or, or oh, less yeah. than Fanuf. And interesting enough, we we it's we haven't hit the end of July and Dion Fanoef is still a Toronto Maple Leaf. Um, we've had a few discussions with uh oh, I'll tell with, you. with a few interesting characters and uh I'm I'm Dion Fanuf doesn't not does not appear to be a well liked Toronto Maple Leaf.
0: Yeah
3: um, people have very strong opinions about Dion Phaneuf, we were we were at a function last night, both of us, and uh,
4: there was a lot of hockey people there. And the the dislike for Dion Phaneuf is absolutely amazing. It's bad. I mean, I feel sorry for the guy now. I don't think he can last more than two, three weeks in the regular season the way the way things are. I mean, there's real dislike for Dion Phaneuf, and. I... I mean, he's not a $7 million player. I think he's a third defenseman, 2-3 in the league. He's a 2-3. Th- he, he's probably a 2. Probably a two. But, you know, people are just – they just hate him. And uh, hate's a bad word to use, right? But they hate him. And I don't think it's fair to him to be here also. They've got to make a move with him.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of it's going to depend um... – how the season starts, whether the Leafs get off to a fast start like they did last year. People tend to forget that the midpoint of the season last year, if enough, was having a very, very good season. He was plus 30 in the, in, in the plus minus the Leafs were doing extremely well. And then they signed him to that contract. I think just before the end of the year, just right around that time, that HBO series was happening. If my memory serves me correctly and, um, uh, there were a few people, a lot of commentators suggesting, you know, $7 million was, was a little bit too much for Dion Phaneuf. But, you know, they really – I thought Nones got himself backed into a little bit of a corner. What were you going to do? You were going to let him leave? You were going to trade him at the trade deadline? You know, they were in the thick of a playoff race and you were going to trade your – Yeah, they had no choice at the time. They I had no choice. That. I mean, they got backed into a corner and they were, they were looking to make some noise in the playoffs and he was their – he was their horse back there. But, you
4: know, it's funny. You brought it up in the discussion last night that,
3: uh, about uh,
4: Dion Phaneuf, right, and having – don't, people don't see the quality of play to the mid part of the year. They only see the bad things, right? And uh, they, don't, they don't like him. I, I just I, – they need to move him. They need to move him. I don't know how they're going to move him, but they need to move that guy.
3: But uh, you move him, what do you get for him? You have a $7 million, seven million dollar defenseman on a seven seven year contract. If I'm not mistaken, um, you move Dion Phaneuf. You have to replace his twenty eight minutes. His twenty six to twenty eight minutes. Well, you have to re-
4: how, you have to replace his twenty minutes because he's a twenty minute defenseman, not a twenty eight minutes. Well, defenseman. he's been the, the, yeah, but he has oh, been he's playing, been playing 28 twenty eight
3: minutes, minutes. So somebody's going somebody has to absorb those minutes. Yep. And you're probably going to have to absorb some of his contract. Um. And you know you move him out, and then then you end up absorbing a million and a half to two million dollars of his contract, and you have to find somebody to replace him with. Uh, that's that's sort of a a corner a, a box that uh, that Nonas is going to find himself in with with Dion Phaneuf. Hopefully, he you know the team starts off well, he plays well, and the fans uh, he, you know maybe he shows a little bit of a different attitude. I I think a lot of the fans. Uh, they they've sort of turned on him because they don't they don't think he plays physical enough or he doesn't lead the team. The way they perceive a captain, a Maple Leaf captain, should lead a team. And and you know, whether he has the makeup to be a captain or not is 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 I guess is the ultimate question. Certainly the Leaf fans don't perceive that that he's a captain in the mold of let's say a Wendell or or a Doug Gilmore.
4: Yeah, it's, it's I just feel sorry for the guy. But, you know, there is trades out there for them. Like, there's there's problem players on every team. So and I don't say Dion a problem player that way. But they have a contract yeah. that they want to move. They want to move this guy. Other teams want to move those players too, right? So, you know, there is a deal to be made. It's just a, what, what are the least happy with.
3: Anyways, another rumor started heating up again this week. We noticed it on The Wire, Steve Stamkos. Yeah. And the maple leafs we we talked about that uh, 2 months ago and i noticed it got picked up this week steve stamco still hasn't been signed by the uh by the tampa bay uh the, the lightning uh he's got a couple of years left and uh would be a perfect fit in toronto
4: there's your captain right there steve stamco there's your Stamkos. captain uh
3: we'll we'll see what happens with uh, with Steve Stamkos, we, we, we will certainly keep an eye on that. Be, uh, seems like the perfect type of signing for Tim Lewicki. Uh, seems to be like his type of player, the big splashy signing. And uh, Stamkos, Babcock, those two Leaf rumors uh, still, steep, still seem to be in play. Anyways, that uh, you're listening to Naz and Wally Sports Hour. It's time for our break, and we'll be back shortly.
5: It was a rainy day in Pizzaville when I got my fill. Ponzo Combo, Ponzo Combo. You get two Ponzerotti with two toppings each plus two big Pepsis, the deal is a peach. Ponzo Combo, Ponzo Combo. Just 13 99 that's low. For a show, let's whoa. Ponzo Combo, Ponzo Combo. Visit pizzaville.ca or call 736 3636.
0: Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey.
7: This is Daryl Settler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. Car buying made simple. That's what Alta Infinity is all about. No stress, no hassle, no nonsense. Just fun and easy and rewarding experience that will put you behind the wheel of a fabulous new or used Infinity. Expert sales staff, superior service, and the largest selection in Ontario. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's what makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. Infinity, Woodbridge.com at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Striving to inspire you at every turn. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build
6: character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabond Carly, the intelligent choice. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour is a paid program.
1: Opinions expressed on the show are those of Naz and Wally and their guests.
2: Are they ever wrong about sports? I can answer that in two words. Impossible. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740.
3: Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. As usual in our Golf Wisdom segment, we have with us Sean Clement. Sean Clement, uh, you can find him on YouTube um, and also at his website wisdom in www.wisdomingolf.com. Good morning, Sean. Morning guys. How are you today? I'm awesome. How about you? Fantastic. Thank you. We're going to talk about putting and putters. Yes. Uh, There's some new putters on the market that some of the pros are using. Uh, Scotty Cameron's, Odyssey's, TaylorMades. They're counterweighted and uh, the late and Furek, and you've been using them. Tell us all about that, Sean.
1: Yeah, I've been using that for years. Um, uh, the, the, the Tour Lock has uh, a counterweighting system that they can insert inside uh, the, the top of the shaft. And it's, it's really a trend that's picking up a lot of steam on Tour. Um, you know, after Justin Rose uh, won the Open using a putter like that, it just caught fire, of course. And now all, all kinds of companies are coming out uh, with their counterweighted uh, systems. And I'm, I'm completely for it. Uh, you know, if you just look at the technique that you would use just to toss the ball to somebody, your arm is hanging nicely from your shoulder socket and you're just doing an underhand toss. You don't use your wrists. You don't use your elbows. It's just a long arm toss. And you're, because we're gravity geniuses as human beings on this planet, uh, you know, if you, you take a golf ball, toss it to somebody, no, no big deal. You, you know exactly how far to toss it. Uh, if I gave you a four pound hammer you 'd do the same thing. There would be no issues as soon as you feel the weight of that instrument, it becomes very easy for you to do that now. The problem with putters in the past is that you got this heavy head and then you got a lighter shaft and then you got your heavy arms and there 's nothing in between and 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 it um, the the heaviness in the head caused the wrists to break a little bit you know you're if especially in this if the stroke got a little quick. Um, then, then the wrists would give too much. And then that counterweighting in the handle, you put more weight upstairs in the handle, uh, the guys are averaging about 100 to 150 grams, and that's what I'm using. Uh, it's just incredible the difference that it makes. It's like your putter now tracks on a rail, and when the ball comes off the putter, it, 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 uh, it feels like it's just holding its line so much better.
3: And I think that's a trend that's going to continue. So we're talking about adding weight I get, I guess, at the grip end of the club. That's correct. Okay, yeah. now if I walk into, uh, golf town. Yep. And I, they got rows and rows of putters. Yes. Uh, to be quite frank with you, I've, have never seen a putter in golf town that's got a weight on the grip end. So well, you'll
1: it's... see the, the latest putters are actually longer. The counterweighted putters are longer, and they're designed. When you watch Delet today, uh, you'll notice he's got a counterweighted putter, and so does Jim Furyk. And they're they're typically around 38, 39 inches long, but they grip down on the putter, and uh, so that the counterweight is, is, is active, and um, and you'll notice that um, you know Anhil Cabrera used the used the his ping counterweighted putter to win his latest uh, at Greensboro. So look for the putters that are longer in length, and and that's where that's where you're going to see it. And the Boccieri also, um, I don't know if Golftown has them yet, but he has a, a heavy grip. So if you want to use the same putter that you have and you like the putter that you're using and just you can change the grip on it, it's a heavy grip that you can install. And uh, you can check that out as well.
4: Sean, they're, uh, they're making a putter illegal, one that was used uh, in the past few years. Yeah. Uh, how does that compare to, the, to this one?
1: Well, it's, it's a completely different concept. Um, you know, I have never been uh, in agreement with the anchored putter. It's, it's something that was adapted because of, of poor use of technique, first and foremost. Um, and what happens is if you anchor the putter to your chest, you know, the, the guys that use either, you know, some of them have anchored to the chin, some anchored to the chest, some anchored to the belly, uh, and it's and it's uh, it's like a crutch, you know. You're you're using you're you're connecting it to the, your body, and you're trying to, uh, you know. I remember when Ernie Els went to see this guy uh, with uh, Sam Putt Lab. Uh, it's it's when you're manipulating the putter, it just gives you a false sense of control that you can you, basically you can manipulate the putter better, uh, you know. And I think that it's not even an advantage.
4: Well, Jim Furyk has really uh, really putted well in the last uh, six, seven months for sure. Yeah. Uh, he's uh, really improved his putting. He's, he's gained a lot of strokes on the greens.
3: Absolutely. So uh, adding the weight to the grip end, is this all about uh, the, the most – one of the famous expressions in golf is uh, when somebody goes off the rails is he's got the yips. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, and um, I had a
4: few of those yesterday, Walt.
1: <laughs> well, it's, you know, the yips again is a, is a micromanagement uh, uh, technique. You're trying to you're trying to control your putter instead of letting it swing. When you let the weight of your arms and putter hang from the shoulders, and your focus is to use that weight to roll the ball into your picture, then the yips is not going to be an issue. But if you're trying to control the putter head and you're trying to steer it on a specific line or in a specific manner and you're doing that for three-foot putts, uh, chances are you're going to develop a, a nice case of them.
3: So if, if someone uh, has a, a putter that they, uh, that they really like and uh, they don't want to replace their putter… right. And uh, but they're interested in this counterweighting. Yes. Uh, how do they go about uh, adjusting or retrofitting or uh, yeah, exactly. getting their putter adjusted to uh, to counterweight it?
1: You can you can check out Tour Lock and uh, and see if if in your neck of the woods you've got a club fitter that can install a Tour Lock uh, counterweight inside your putter, or you can check out the Boccieri, uh the heavy grips. Um, and, uh, and apart from that, uh, just, you know, either go to your local golf store and, and, and test drive the new, uh, the new counterweighted putters. Uh, I know that, uh, you know, when I've introduced my students uh, in a putting lesson to a counterweighted putter, uh, 99% of the time they will have something like that installed.
3: And the, uh, are, are you using uh, uh, on these counterweighted putters? Yeah. Um, are, I, I remember a few years back they went to heavy heads on um, uh, heavy putter heads, uh, is do you would you put a counterweight with a heavy putter head, or, or sort of equally distribute distribute the weight?
1: No, I would equally distribute the weight. Uh, the heavy putter heads didn't last very long, but the counterweighted putters have been around for a long time. Actually, Jack Nicklaus used to put lead tape underneath his grip to to counterweight his putter, and um, so that's it's been around for a while. And uh, and and it's you know they've just found better ways. To balance the putters now, and uh, and I, I think it's here to stay. But uh, heavy-headed putters would only uh, exacerbate the problem. You'd have to use more control because the the, 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 putter, the the putter head wants to fly around your wrists, if you will.
3: Anyways, we've uh, we've come to our end of our golf wisdom segment once again for Sunday. Very illuminating discussion with uh, Sean Clement about counterweighting in putters. Sean, how
4: is that diet going? Oh, fantastic! You know how many requests I've had this week—probably a dozen.
1: Oh, that's that's terrific. Well, it's uh, the the more the more awareness we have for that, the the the, the more the healthier our society is going to be.
3: Anyway, Sean, I've been away for a couple of weeks and picked up a few pounds, so I'm gonna I'm gonna have a little chat with uh, with Naz about this diet. I'm gonna see if I can get rid of this excess weight by next Sunday. Anyway, Sean, thanks again, uh, uh, Sean Clement www.wisdomingolf.com and uh, have a great week, Sean. All
1: the best, you guys. Take care.
3: Thanks, Thanks Sean. Once Bye. again, that was Sean Clement at uh, wisdomingolf.com. Uh, a very major event is happening today that I, I do, we do want to talk about, Naz. It's the Baseball Hall of Fame Inductions. Cooperstown. Uh, three managers going in today that I think are the three best of their generation. Joe Torre, Bobby Cox... Tony La Russa, any, uh, any criticisms can't, can't there? You can't argue about that. You can't argue about, certainly, uh, some of the reports I've read about the top uh, 100 baseball managers of all time. These three are, are always in the top 10 of managers. Uh, Frank Thomas, uh, Glavin, uh, Maddox going into the uh, Hall of Fame. Uh, certainly no complaints there. Um, some players still not in the Hall of Fame that we could have discussions about.
4: Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire.
3: Raphael Palmeiro. Raphael Palmeiro. And we all know well, why. Palmeiro
4: was borderline anyway. Yeah. But the other three guys weren't borderline, and uh, they were uh, assisted a bit, I guess, in their uh, production. But a bit? A bit. <laughs> a bit? It just... Where are we going with this, though, Wally? We're not going to have any players in the Hall of Fame if this continues. I mean, they—they they, at the time they didn't do anything that was—it uh, was a rule against baseball.
3: Well, you know, the, you know I, that's an interesting. Well, we discussion. did bring up Pete Rose. Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame too. We talked I, I, about that earlier. The—the uh, uh, the only reason Pete Rose, from what I can tell, is not in the Hall of Fame is he refuses to apologize. Um. Certainly did something that was contrary to the you know he was proven I think in the Faye Vincent report or at the time that he did something he wasn't supposed to do, but uh, maybe that deserved a suspension of fifteen, 20 years, but I think it's time to put it be, it's time to put it in our past. Pete Rose was one of the greatest baseball players of all time. Agreed. Um, he bet on baseball. Did he bet on his own team Um,
4: to lose? No,
3: no. If there's one thing about Pete Rose, nobody ever played the game harder. Nobody was ever more competitive than Pete Rose. Uh, And you you remember that All-Star game in the All-Star game? He blew over Ray Fossey Fossey and essentially ruined it in an All-Star game. That's how competitive Pete Rose was. Pete Rose competed as hard as any athlete ever competed and left everything on the field. He would have never, ever done anything to try and throw a game or lose a game. It just wasn't part of his basic nature. Now, he may have bet on baseball, maybe not on his own team. I don't remember the exact details of it, but in my estimation, he suffered he hasn't apologized, and to me, that seems to be the reason they're keeping him
4: out. Okay, let's, let's look at uh, a couple of guys that have been known to be in, in Vegas quite often in other sports. Let's look at Michael Jordan for a sec and Charles Barkley. There's two guys. Uh, one of them is definitely Michael Jordan was the best player ever. No question. What if he bet on basketball? How would the NBA treat it? If he bet on basketball, but he bet on his team. Well, there
3: was, a, you know, interesting enough, I just read the uh, I just read the Michael uh, Jordan uh, biography, and I highly recommend it to listeners. It's a very fascinating book. And there was that whole controversy about Michael Jordan when he retired from basketball and then went to baseball. And there were all kinds of rumors that he was under investigation by the NBA because, well, uh, aside from betting on sports, which I, I don't recall any... Uh, proof that Michael Jordan ever got in, into any scandal where he ever bet on sports, but he's known to be a large, large uh, better in in personal golf games, mm-hmm. and there are situations where he's had obligations where he's lost and he's had to pay significant obligation. So he has a reputation for gambling. Although to be fair, I don't think it's ever been proven he's ever bet on professional sports. But it's possible that he has. Well, it's possible, but we got to deal with, the, you know, I mean, you can't, you know, no, you but I'm just I'm the just giving you, you made. Yeah, I'm not yeah. making an allegation. Yeah.
4: I'm just yeah. pointing out the fact that Michael Jordan, if he was in that situation and he bet on basketball, how would the NBA treat it?
3: Well, that's uh, an interesting theoretical question because those were the rumors at the time when he retired. From uh, professional basketball and I think it was ninety three or whatever then started playing baseball and uh, rumors were that he was under the investigation by the nba and th- and that he retired uh, to sort of squelch those investigations so none of those i mean none of those uh, stories have ever panned out it 's never been proven obviously, and what the nBA would have done. Had he been proven to bet on the NBA, I would have thought that the NBA would have had to take appropriate measures. But Major League,
4: Base- not- Major League Baseball has to uh, get with it, right? To leave Pete Rose out of the Hall of Fame because he doesn't apologize.
3: I mean, well, that's my take on it. Yeah. that's my spin on uh, on why he's not being admitted because he's not, you know, he doesn't play. He's not contrite enough, you know, and he's sort of in certain ways he's he's sort of, you know. Thrown it back at Major League Baseball, and um, you know there had there's been a you know a very uh, a very uh, tough relationship between Pete Rose and Major League Baseball, and-, and then you
4: got Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds and Sosa and McGuire, and they have they have those same uh, same issues with uh, Major League Baseball, right? They went through they went well, through you- they went through an era. Or a period of time, well, I don't know what drug substance they used to enhance them themselves, but they did. And my, what well, my understanding is that the stuff they were accused of taking was not illegal
3: at the time. You know, that's interesting now, because n- Mark McGuire was doing, um, and he, I think he admitted to it afterwards, something called Andro was the short form of it. And I think that was sort of a human growth hormone or some, of something. Mm-hmm. And that was not... Apparently at that particular moment in time when he had, when he had that great home run chase where he, he, he destroyed Roger Maris's record, apparently that was not illegal in baseball at the time. Right. Okay. Uh, what was illegal was steroids. Okay. Okay. And uh, apparently uh, the commissioner in 1991 sent out a, a memo to all the major league teams reminding them that these performance-enhancing substances, specifically steroids, were not permitted – in baseball but there was no testing there was no testing done on major league players until 2003 so there was that huge time period between 91 and 2003 where they weren't being tested but this is when these guys but it was not but they, it was not legal to take steroids in baseball in the 1990s when sure. these guys were racking up these miraculous home run records and Clemens was was, you know, winning 20, you know, over 20 games at an advanced stage. And they were running these records up to these levels that were unheard of previously in sports, but it can't be proven. I mean, it's, you know, if they weren't testing for it, how do you prove that they were doing it? Other than, you know, you had, uh, what was that guy used to play for the, for the A's? Jose Canseco. When yeah. he came out with his book, he made those allegations and then everybody, you know, when he came out, they said, Oh, he's crazy. He's crazy. Well, you know, do you 20 honest, years later, was he crazy?
4: Do you honestly think that baseball didn't know about this?
3: Uh, they turned a blind eye. They certainly you could did. You can tell by looking at the players, you know. One year, Brady Anderson is, and I don't know, there's no nothing proven about Brady Anderson. I'm just, you know, using that as an example. I'm not saying he was doing anything illegal or wasn't doing anything illegal, but he hit 51 home runs for whatever. Anyways, it's a discussion we can pick up. We'll be watching the induction ceremonies and... Uh, you have the Pizzaville winner?
4: Yes, I do. It's Mary Mater- Materos. I hope I pronounced that right, Mary. From North York, Ontario. Mary Materos wins the prize, Rogers Prize package. And it's a great prize.
3: Thank you. And the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We'll be back again next Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. And uh, to all our listeners, have a great week.